Greetings to the PATH family. Our slogan at the PATH is meeting you where you are. We invite you to follow, share, and check us out on social media. You may connect with us at any time, anywhere. On Facebook at The Path Church or Instagram and Twitter at Join the Path. Without further delay, enjoy this week's sermon. We're going to continue our series. This is, this is part two of, of what I call the, the kickoff message. It's kind of an overview of our everyone, everyday, everywhere series that we're going to do for the next couple of months. Um, as we go into this next season as a church, we're studying out the book of Acts in hopes for every one of us to maximize our impact as we partner with the Holy Spirit every day to share the gospel everywhere. So during this series, we're going to learn about everyday disciples uh, that were used by God to make an eternal impact. But before we start the message, I want to give you a chance to have some fellowship. Uh, We're going to do some interactive stuff. I have an opening question for you. Let's go ahead and put that up. How many languages do you speak? That's what I want to know. How many languages do you speak? I speak English, obviously. I speak Spanish. I also, I also speak Atlanta. That is its own, at least, dialect. The T's are silent if you're not aware, if you're visiting. Uh, you will not hear many T's. Uh, and I, you know, that usually comes out, you know, when I'm down in Collapart with my boys over at North Clayton. So, uh, you know, just try to, try to, you know, just try to keep it real. That's it. I've been here for about 20 years, so after a while you get it. All right, let's see. Okay. So that's number one. So most people, okay, two, third, okay, three. One person knows four or more. All right, so we're going to have some fellowship in our circles here for just a few minutes. You're going to say, go around. This is quick fire. We don't need explanations. Don't need to know how you learned it. All right, just need to know your name, how many languages, and which ones. If you are part of the 71 only knows one, just say which one you would like to learn if you would like to learn it. Okay, ready, set, go. Go, 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 go. All right, next, see? Next. Who has four or more? Anybody? Who has four? Is anybody here or on YouTube? Four or more? We got more. Vincent. Okay, Vincent, I see you. All right. So what did we talk about last week? Acts chapter 1, we went into Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 1, Jesus resurrected, spent time, 40 days with his disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God. He said, listen, you don't need to know the dates and times, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. You're going to be my witnesses. Then he leaves, and the disciples were sad about it. Mm-mm. They were confused about it. They were happy. They praised God. They went back to Jerusalem, waited on the Holy Spirit, right? And so we talked about everyone must move forward. We talked about how everyone must step up because they, they had to uh, uh, designate another apostle, right, Matthias. And so he had to step up. And every disciple, there's times we have to step up and everyone must be present, must be present. That's right, because those who were present 
were able to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and were able to start speaking in different languages, okay? So we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 2, verse 5. If you did not hear the first sermon from last week, go back on YouTube or on the podcast and check it out. Acts chapter 2, verse 5. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation, everywhere, living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. That's the realest script. That's one of the realest scriptures in the Bible for me. There's some scriptures in the Bible we just know it's true. You know, in, 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 a, in that many people, there's people that are like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Some are perplexed. Others are like, man, them folks been drinking. <laughs> it was morning time, so maybe they're thinking it was a late night for them. They're still hungover. But that's one of the realest scriptures for me. They, they just drunk, that's all. Jews from every nation are everywhere hearing their own language. Now, for those of you who want to go deeper in your Bible study, uh, this week I studied this out, and commentators uh, say that this moment uh, is seen as the reversal of the curse of Babel. So you go back to Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel and you can, if you want to go deeper, go and compare and contrast these two occurrences and see what God's been doing all the way back in Genesis 11 to what we're reading now and even what's happening today, all right? Um, what were they saying? Oftentimes, the focus is on tongues, languages, but what were they saying? Well, it says here, they were declaring the wonders of God. They were sharing the wonderful things God has done. But, like, what were they actually saying? What would you say? How would you declare the praises of God, the, the, the wonderful things God has? What would you say? You're going to get a chance in just a moment. So be thinking about it, but were they sharing the story of Jesus, the gospel? Just tell, that's a wonder of God, right? Were they sharing like the miracle that they experienced or maybe they saw Jesus do for someone else? Was it a testimony about how God had protected them or provided for them? Were they talking about nature, the wonders of God, the heavens and the skies? Were they sharing different stories of their own heritage? The exodus, the parting of the Red Sea. What were they talking about? Maybe they were reciting the Psalms. 
We see that declaring the wonders of God in the Psalms. Maybe they were just saying that in different languages. Maybe they were singing. Those are songs. Maybe they were singing what's in the Psalms. Or maybe they were freestyling. <laughs> A little spoken word about the wonders of God. What would you say? Take a few moments here from a few people in your group. What would, if, if you had to tell your group today about one of the wonderful things that God has done, what would that be? Just one thing. What would that be? Okay, go ahead. I'm just going to take a few minutes. Everybody doesn't have to share on this one. Up in the balcony, talk to your neighbor. Tell somebody. Just a wonderful thing God has done. Maybe it was this week. Maybe it was this month. Maybe it's your conversion. What's one wonderful thing God has done in your life? Bring it to a close. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. All right, let's wrap it up. All right, all right, all right. Anybody inspired? That's it? <laughs> you know, I, I believe that to this day, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Christians are able to declare the wonders of God in a language that our hearers can understand. I believe, one, it can done, be done miraculously if God wants to do that. Um, but I also think that it could be done figuratively. Because we have Google Translator now. He made it so that everybody can communicate if you want to, right? But what does that look like figuratively? What does it look like to speak a language that others can understand? Like me speaking Atlanta in Kalapar. You know, I got to give Chase, our brother Chase, a, a shout out because, man, Chase just does an amazing job connecting with people. Whether we are, he is meeting, they're, they're, Chase doesn't know a stranger. And it's like immediately he can connect with somebody, immediately he can find a, a, a way to, to reach them, to share with them, to illustrate a point. Talk about illustrations. That, that brother can illustrate some points. That brother got some analogies for days. All right? So, I, I, and I think some of us have that gift. But I think all of us can do that through the Holy Spirit. And I believe this. All of us needed somebody who can explain the gospel in a way to us that we could understand. In a way that made sense to us. And gave us an opportunity to respond. Now, we should do the same thing for others. The fact that everyone heard their own language means that God didn't want anybody to be left out. He wanted everybody to get a chance. And I believe that's why Jesus said this back in chapter 1 in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Everyone's going to get a chance to hear this everywhere. Everybody needs an opportunity to know about me. That's why I want to partner with you so that you can be my witnesses. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. So that's what they were doing. 
It was being lived out right there and then. Because what do witnesses do? They testify. They testify about what they have seen and heard. In this case, disciples are testifying about the wonderful things that God has done in their lives. Point number one, everyone must be a witness. Everyone must be a witness. I like podcasts. Specifically, my guilty pleasure is True Life, True Crime podcast. I, I like the ones like where they can be like a real life impact. Which one? Give me, I, I need that, whatever that. So I, I even like like Vanished. Like they're trying to find somebody or what happened to somebody. Guilty pleasure, man. I don't know why. I can't watch it. I don't like shows like that or move, but I don't know why I can listen to it while I'm doing the yard or whatever, you know, road trips. I like the, the podcast I've been listening to is Suspect. It's kind of you figure it out as you go, what's happening, who did what, and, and there can even be changes if the audience gets involved and starts giving clues and, and helps out the, the person involved. And so I've been listening to Suspect and the one I'm listening to now, this season, is about the story of Leon Benson, accused and convicted of murder back in 1998. Been in prison 25 years. Ten of those years were in solita solitary confinement. Throughout this time... He's always maintained his innocence, always, no matter what has come his way. And there are witnesses to confirm his alibi because they were there with him. They saw and heard him, and he wasn't shooting anybody. The only problem is that those witnesses never came forward to testify about what they had seen and heard because they didn't want to break the street code. My question to us is this. How many people are still imprisoned by their sin, shackled in their shame, sentenced to eternity in hell because we are hesitant to come forward and be a witness, a witness and testify? Testify about the wonderful things that God has done in our lives. I think too often we talk, that's just for preachers. That's for evangelists. Everybody has to evangelize. That's not, a, that's not solely a gift. Oh, the preacher has to proclaim. No, that's for every single one of us. And it's not like we have to tell people what to do all the time. Why don't we just tell them what God has done in our lives? When's the last time you shared your testimony? The fact that we had a hard time even talking about it, like, oh, what do I, that tells me we're out of practice. Man, how often do we go to our jobs and say, how was your weekend? It was amazing. You won't believe what God did this weekend. How are you doing? Man, it's been tough, but God has carried me through. How many times do we just insert God into our conversations and testify about what we're experiencing in our relationship with him? People are still imprisoned because we won't even share the blessings and give him credit for it. We have the testimony needed to help set the captives free, but everyone must be a witness. 
As we continue to read here in verse 14, it says that Peter stepped forward. So they say they must be drunk, and Peter, Peter says, no, nah, hold up, we ain't going to go there. He steps forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. That was his opinion. I know some of, you know. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. He goes on to preach this dynamic and powerful but very short sermon. And what he does is he talks about the, the prophecies. And he ties it back into Jesus. He talks about King David that they were all familiar with and ties it back in to Jesus. And he finishes out his sermon like this in verse 36. So let everyone in Israel know for certain. That God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. So he didn't stop there. That was just the intro. He kept on preaching, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. We know those were men. We don't know how many women were baptized along with that number. Here we have a plan of salvation for who? Everyone. He says this is, this promise of salvation is for you, those who are listening, your children. It says to those far away and to those, all who have been called. Who does that include? Us. If you've been called to follow Jesus, then you are called into this promise to get a chance to have our sins forgiven, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and be added to his kingdom. My second point, everyone must follow instructions. Mm, 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 mm. We have a problem with that. This is like, with my children, this is like one of the number one life hacks. I like to give them little life hacks just to help them out with life. When you get your homework, don't just start writing down what you think they want to know. Before you come to me and ask me you don't understand something, have you read the instructions? Before you do anything else, read the instructions. If you're going to play a board game. Make sure you know the directions, the rules. Because you don't want to go hard and be wrong. You don't want to be all in and, and be doing the wrong thing. Just basic life skills. Read the instructions. And not just read them, but follow them. Most men have had to learn this the hard way. Because of an Ikea purchase. 
that we decided we knew exactly how to put this little bookcase together. And then we looked back and we got pieces missing. We put together this chair, now we don't know if it's going to hold, or this desk, because there's pieces missing. <laughs> They're still sitting there. Where did this go? Basic life hack. One-on-one. Follow instructions. I think some of us try to rationalize and justify a salvation experience when it doesn't match up with this. An emotional experience, a spiritual experience, a God experience, and we call it salvation. But where does it say that our sins were forgiven in that moment? That's what being saved is all about. It's being saved from hell because of our sin. I think some of us just think, well, I, I got saved when I just, I just, maybe I just repented. I just changed. Okay, but that's what you did. God says, I, I want to do something in your life, and I want to make sure that those sins are completely forgiven for the rest of your life. And once those sins no longer separate me from you, then I can live inside of you. And really, for all of us, it's a test of humility. Will we submit to the word of God? Because if, 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 if Peter says clearly, this is for everyone, clearly, and it's the start of the church. He has the keys to the kingdom. He opens up the, key, the kingdom of God to everybody. This is how you first get in. It's like, we may want to listen. Anybody in sports understands this. Anybody that's gone to college understands this. Anybody that's gotten a job understands this. Who gets to say whether or not you get to be part of that organization? Whoever's in charge. You try out. These are the standards. You got to do this and make the team. You don't, you don't do it, you're not on the team. If you don't, if this is what you need to, to get admitted to college. This is what needs to happen. If you don't do that, you're not getting in. This is what we need from you as an employee. You can't do that. You're not going to work for us. You can work for somebody else. But so many times we try to rationalize and justify when really all we have to do is be humble and say, okay, man, maybe I've done this. I've, I've had this experience, but I want to make sure I'm following this passage as well. Maybe it's in addition to what we've already experienced. And maybe it's just a few things that we got to add on to that to follow this passage. Now, the other thing is this. It's not for me to solve whether or not you're saved. That is not my responsibility. Each and every single one of us have to figure out, are we confident in our salvation? You have to, you have to do that. I have to do that. And it's not my job to make sure. It, I, it doesn't matter how I feel about you. It doesn't. It's what does God feel about you? Where do you stand before him? That's, that's all that matters. I don't, even for the Christians, I don't want you to take on a responsibility that's just not yours to have. All we can do is share the scriptures. Man, Peter preached. He kept on preaching. And he tried to, he, he tried to get as many people to understand. And then, okay, now i got to move on. Right? And so, amen. <laughs> the other part of it is this. You can be... Wherever you are on your journey is perfectly fine, and you can be here and worship with us. We love you. We meet you where you are as a church. 
as a body of believers who are committed to this body, we have to be united on what we teach about salvation. We just can't go out. Can you imagine these disciples going out and Peter saying this, and then in another language they're saying, no, all you got to do is just, just say Jesus is Lord. That's all. That's all. Or you know what? Just change your life. That's, that's it. Or you know what? Just be a part. And if you're a part of us, just, just spend more time with us, and you're good. Can you imagine if they were all undermined Peter's message? It would have been a mess. It would have been a mess. So that's why one of the reasons we have our journey series, we do personal Bible studies with those of you who may come in. You may be visiting. You may check us. We want to be united. We want to be united. We just want to say, okay, this is what we believe. This is what we believe about following Jesus, about the word of God being our standard. This is what we believe about sin. This is what we believe about repentance, about salvation, right? You're welcome to come, but to be a part, this is what we're going to be teaching. Can you submit to that? And let's, do, let's, let's partner with God together to help as many people as possible as we move forward. Let's see how this new church, this new community of believers, how they live their lives on a daily basis. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, all the believers, everyone, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in their homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people and each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Everyone was devoted. They were devoted to these. They were devoted to God. Can we just say that? They were devoted to God. And they lived it out by being devoted to the apostles' teaching. What were they teaching? They were teaching what Jesus taught them. <laughs> and what Bible did they use? The Old Testament. They taught the way Jesus taught. But what I love about this is that these new disciples were humble to being taught. They were learners. You can't be a disciple and not be a learner. I mean, the, the term disciple is a follower. It is a learner. Like, that's the basic, that's the basic, whether you, you're a disciple of Jesus or somebody else or something else, pride and discipleship do not mix. Now, we all struggle with it, and we all got to overcome. That's fine. But this is where we're devoted to being taught, right? There's submission there to spiritual authority, which is one of our core values, okay? In addition to that, they were devoted to the fellowship. What is fellowship? Spiritual relationships. Spiritual relationships. This is why we sat in tables today, because this is really what the early church looked like, circles of relationships. Too many churches... The way they work is how they're seated Sunday morning, theater style, like it's a show. Let me see what the preacher's going to say, what he's going to do, how he's going to do it, and then I'll decide whether or not I want to do it too. Let me drop my kids off at children's ministry. They can teach them about stuff, and I'm going to go ahead and get mine. No. It was community. It was family, right? Spiritual relationships. They were devoted to taking communion, having meals together, 
they remember Jesus as much as they could. They remember Jesus. That's what communion is all about. Um, and they really had meals like this. We do, we, we're, we're just Americanized. We are too, the path. Like that's theater style and little packets of communion. It's just, it's just easy. They really they broke bread together. They drank wine together. They maybe little grape juice or cider, whatever it may be. But they, that's, what, that's what it was like for them, right? Um, and they were devoted to prayer. Man, prayer unites people like Oh, I don't know many other things that unite people like, like prayer does, right? And so the standard is for all believers to be devoted in community. Now, I want to hear from you. What are the benefits of everyone being devoted? What are the benefits to a group, to a church, when everyone is called to devotion? What are the benefits to a sports team? If, you've been, if you're an athlete, what are the benefits when everybody's all in and you know it? What are the benefits of that, right? At the job, if you're working on a project together. At school, if you have a group project at school. What are the benefits when everybody is saying, okay, let's do this together. There's unity. There's success. There's spiritual growth. There's culture building. There is strength in numbers. Yes, absolutely. There's clarity. There's victories that are recognized. You're helping one another. Yes, trust is built when you know the person next to you is all in. If, if, if I can't say that, I, I can't trust you. And I'm not talking about as a preacher. I'm talking about just a person. I'm talking about just basic group dynamics, right? There's momentum that builds when we're all in it together because we're having victories together. There's a security that happens in a group of people when we know, man, the standard is this, and we're all trying to do this. I feel safe and secure here because I know I'm doing everything that I can and I'm sacrificing, and I know the next person is as well. I can be secure in that. There's inspiration as well. So, what are the drawbacks? The drawbacks of lack of unity and devotion. Well, it's the opposite of all these. (laughs) Those are the drawbacks. Lack of unity, lack of growth, lack of trust, lack of synergy, lack of peace, lack of efficiency. Absolutely, you cannot build momentum when everybody's trying to do their own thing. Lack of accountability? Absolutely. You know, I saw this, this, uh, this little quote on Instagram. Culture changes when players tell other players, no, that is not how we do things here. That's culture. That's, that's when everybody's bought in. When it's, when it's the leaders, the coaches, the bosses, and then you have the employees, the members, the team, if it's us versus them, it's not going to work. Culture changes, we become to embrace, we, we start to embrace these teachings of everyone must when in that circle of friends you say, you know what? I know you're going through a hard time right now. We we can't, we don't do that here. And we don't do it like that. Man, you know what? That's that's super judgmental. We we try to have a lot more patience with people here. You know what, man? I see you're not, you haven't really been taking things serious lately, you know. God calls us to do this. I'm not talking about being mean and harsh or just harsh, challenging or accountability, but, but this is the standard. And so we're going to be patient with each other along the way. But when we start discipling one and helping one another in that way, that's when we really start to grow in our convictions. Are we waiting for leaders to step in and say the hard things when you see it? Don't tattletale. Don't tattletale. Don't gossip. We quick tell somebody else. This is what happened. This is how it happened. What should I do? Okay. Yeah, do you really want advice? 
Or are you really trying to get out of the conflict that God allowed you to see for a reason? I went in the room. Why are you telling me? Where does your conviction lie as to the standard that God has for us in our devotion? See, we're trying to get a few hundred people united in devotion. Here we see thousands of people who are all in. And we see it by the way they lived on a daily basis because of their everyday devotion. They were able to enjoy the benefits every single day. So that is my third and final point. Everyone must be devoted. How could so many people make such drastic and dramatic changes in their lifestyle and behavior? You ever think about that? How did all these people, man, a month ago they were crucifying Jesus. And a month later, 40 days later, 50 days later, a month and a half, almost two months later, now they're all in? What happened? In the book Atomic Habits by James Clear, he points out there's three layers of behavior change. I'm going to leave you with this. Number one is outcomes. The next one, uh, outcomes is uh, the level, this level is concerned with changing results. So losing weight, saving money, winning a championship, most goals are associated with this level of change. The next level is processes. This level is concerned with changing habits and systems, right? So implementing a new routine at the gym, setting up automatic withdrawal for that savings account, developing a practice plan for that championship. Most habits we build are associated with this level. Number three, identity. This level is concerned with changing your beliefs, such as your worldview, your self-image, judgments about yourself and others. Most beliefs, assumptions, biases that we hold are associated with this level of change. Outcomes are about what you get. Processes are about what you do. Identity is about what you believe. So the author, James Clear, he argues that true change, the biblical word would be repentance, must begin with our identity. The biblical word would be doctrine, our set of beliefs, but not just what we believe about God, but what we believe about ourselves. Here's what Clear says. He says, behavior that is incongruent with the self will not last. You may want more money, but if your identity is someone who consumes rather than creates, then you'll continue to be pulled towards spending rather than earning. You may want better health, but if you continue to prioritize comfort over accomplishment, you'll be drawn to relaxing rather than training. It's hard to change your habits if you never change the underlying beliefs that led you to your past behavior. You have a new goal and a new plan, but you haven't changed who you are. It's one thing to say, I'm the type of person who wants this. It's another, something very different to say, I'm the type of person who is this. And this is, what, this is how it relates to us. Too often Christianity is a, is a self-help tool, first and foremost, right? To change something about ourselves that we do not like. Something that's causing us pain or shame or guilt. That's outcomes-based approach. The other way is do we want to be disciples of Jesus Christ, clothed with Christ, like Christ. When we decide that being a Christian is our primary identity, the change in outcomes will follow. This is identity-based approach. 
Now, you may start a habit because of motivation, but the only reason we stick with it is if it becomes a part of who we are, an identity. And the habits reinforce our identity. The more you do something, the more likely you'll start seeing yourself as that person. The more you run, the more you're willing to say, you know what, I'm a runner. The more you play golf, the more you'll be like, you know what, I'm a golfer. I can't say that yet. The more you write, you'll say, you know what, I'm a writer. The more you play video games, you'll be like, oh, I'm a gamer, right? This applies to young Christians. You got to stick with it. Those habits will reinforce your identity. Those spiritual disciplines, even when you don't feel like it, praying, reading our Bibles, sharing our faith, just, just fasting, our, our, our spiritual disciplines, just keep doing that until it clicks. And when it clicks, you're no longer pursuing behavior change. You're simply acting like the type of person you already believe yourself to be. And here's the thing, the more pride or dignity we have about something in our lives, a, a part of our identity, the more motivated we are to maintain the habits associated with it. And so once we start becoming, man, you know what? I mean, I, I feel pride, I feel dignity about these changes that I'm making, about following Jesus, the more we're going to continue to stay in the fight. You know, for these new disciples, their new identity inspired their daily habits. And their daily habits reinforced their identity, which led to more and more people being saved every day. So now we know that behavioral science has confirmed the old scripture in 1 Timothy 4.16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Watch what you believe, your doctrine. Watch how you live your life, your habits and outcomes. If you do, you will save yourself and your hearers. That's exactly what we saw in Acts chapter 2. Their new identity in Christ brought them together. They were united as one in their devotion to Christ. As seen in their devotion to the apostles' teaching. Fellowship, prayer, and communion. Are you inspired by Jesus and this lifestyle that the disciples were living out in community? When you read this, is this something you want to be a part of? Or are you going to settle for what you have going on? If what you have going on, if that's doing it for you, I don't know if you'd be here today. Maybe you want a new life, but you think, I don't know if I have what it takes well, I have good news for you. There are parts of our identity that are not set in stone. We can acquire a new set of beliefs, a new worldview, deeper convictions, a better, a better and eternal identity based on truth. I'm not talking about identities based on lies. I ain't going to go there today. Don't got time. It's 1210. Maybe another time. But you can't change some parts of our identity according to God's truth. And that's a simple two-step process. Thank you, James Clear. Decide, number one, decide the type of person you want to be. That's the next slide. And prove it to yourself with small wins. What does this mean? If you want to be a Christian, because first we have to decide what we want to be, who we want to be. You know what, I've had to decide that over and over again over the last 20 years. I decided 20 years ago when I first became a disciple, and I had to decide every day, honestly. 
If you want to be a Christian, prove it to yourself by a small win. Maybe that's the next step in your spiritual journey. If you've been checking us out virtually, small step, a small win is just to come in person. If you've been coming, maybe a small win is just making time to have fellowship outside of Sundays. Maybe you attend a mission group gathering. Maybe you start going through that journey series where you get together with a few people and talk about your life and share stories and uh, build that spiritual foundation on the Bible or maybe just reinforce it. Or maybe the next small win is just working on your daily spiritual habits, just making sure you get time with God every day. He wants to spend time with every single one of us. He loves his children. If you want to be a Christian, maybe it's time to prove it to yourself with a big win. Maybe it's time to go ahead and repent, turn to God, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins so you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of you and be added to God's family, his church, his kingdom. And if you're a Christian already and you want to help, be devoted. It's because of the devotions, devotion of the disciples that ultimately they saw people being saved every day. Let's go ahead and pray for our communion. Father, we thank you for who you are. The clear instructions you give us to live our lives and to have a relationship with you, God. Thank you. You could have left us out here trying to figure things out on our own. But you make things very clear for us. And we thank you for that, God. God, help us to obey you. Father, forgive us for all the ways we fall short, God. Every single one of us have weaknesses, shortcomings, sin, God. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for this community that you've given us so that we can help each other continue to grow and be free from the consequences of sin. Thank you that Jesus paid the price so that we can have that opportunity. And right now, we know that this is your most amazing, wonderful thing that you've done, God, is made a way for us to have a relationship with you for eternity through Jesus we take time out right now to remember him, his sacrifice, his death, burial, his resurrection, and also his ascension. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit he leaves behind in every single one of us so that we can be more like him and be his witness to everyone, everywhere, every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. New sermons are uploaded each Monday morning. Simply search The Path Church Atlanta in iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting service. Additionally, we greatly appreciate your feedback on iTunes. If you would like to learn more about The Path, we encourage you to visit www.thepath.church. We hope to fellowship with you soon.